The Scandal Sheet Podcast presents 9-11 Recollections Part 2 The Pentagon September 11, 2001 9.37 a.m. Eastern Time So I am here with uh, our very popular returning guest, Joe Duffus, to talk about the second part of the 9-11 attacks, which took place in Arlington, Virginia, on the site of the Pentagon. So, Joe, welcome back on this very somber occasion. Hi, Thad. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's great to be with you again. Awesome. So before we get started, do you want to bring us up to speed on what you're up to these days? And I believe you have a podcast of your own that you are involved in. Is that correct? Well, I'm involved in one. I'm not I'm not uh, a participant on it. OK, um, I, I work for a nonprofit group called the Government Accountability Institute, which is run by Peter Schweitzer, who is uh, an, a best-selling author and investigative journalist. And we do, as part of that group, we do a weekly podcast called The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer, which I write articles in support of that podcast. It's always newsworthy, but it's not punditry. It's it's not just a couple of guys sitting around talking about politics. It's always based on the research that we do at, at GAI um, related to whatever we're talking about. So you're actually going to learn something about current events when you listen to the Drill Down podcast uh, with Peter Schweitzer. And it's it's been fun. We cover a lot of good ground. Well, good. I mean, we'll put a link to it in the liner notes so that, uh, you know, our listeners, hopefully you'll pick up some incremental. Terrific. People. Yeah. So, Joe, you've been on my podcasts uh, three times in the past, but I don't think we ever told listeners how we met 26 years ago. It's been 26 <laughs> years, my friend. Um, yeah, at the, at the time, this would have been 1997, I guess. That's what I have. Yeah. And I had been working for the past about 12 years or so for another newspaper company's Washington bureau. And I was based in DC in the, uh, in the, in the complex of buildings that included the national press building, um, and had done a lot of different jobs, you know, it was, it, it started as my first job out of college and I'd done a lot of different things, um, but had started getting more into the technical side of the business, including, um, dealing with a satellite link that we were using to deliver our stories to our newspapers. This was prior to the internet really becoming a, a standard delivery vehicle, but the internet was was coming in, and everybody was involved at that point in in AOL or America Online, as it was known at that time. Um, <laughs> and the newspaper industry just seemed to be very behind the times as far as um, taking advantage of of what the internet had to offer especially the company I was working for. So when I saw a job listing for Gannett, that big company across the river that wanted to hire and staff up 
to get involved in newspapers online, I jumped at it and I interviewed with, uh, with the man who was the vice president of the newspaper division in charge of business development. Right. Um, who, who put this together, a man named Jack Williams, who, who has sadly passed away. Right. God um, rest his soul. And he had already hired two people uh, and they weren't news people. They were not editorial newspaper ink stain wretches like I was. They were people with a marketing and advertising background. I'd also done and online. So I'd been ad- selling online for a couple online. of years. Yeah. But I was the first employee hired in the group that had any newspaper experience. And I was hired as the technology specialist. And as part of the interview process, uh, he sent me down to speak with you and, uh, and to speak with uh, our other colleague, uh, Dana, um, as part of the interview process. And I must have done okay because uh, you gave him a good report and he hired me. That's so true. That's how we met. That's right. That's and then right. we shared an office in that building um, for s- several years. It, yeah, we did. And it was weird because it had previously been, because they still had a sticker on the door, some kind of advanced research lab. They had like a um, Apple Newton sticker <laughs> with the failed precursor to the iPhone. Yeah, it was so funny. Right. Yeah, there was a Newton sticker and there was and there was some sort of tr- of strange whiteboard that had a plug in for something that I think was related to that. You know, it was like an early effort at at a Palm pilot kind of an operating system that would work on a whiteboard or something like that. I I never understood what it was. We just used it as a whiteboard. So you and I, so that for that first six years, we're in this, the, which is still the tallest building in Arlington yeah. called the Twin Towers. And, and actually it bears a, a resemblance to the, to the World Trade Center, not as high. It was only 27 floors. And I forget what floor we were on, but um, by the time... We were on 24. We were on 24. Okay. Mm-hmm. By the time 9-11 that morning came around, it wasn't just me, you, and Dana. We had numerous other people and they had crammed us into this little area that's where right. we were all like just literally almost on top of another. I mean, I had a door, but it was a very tiny little space. But but down the hall, <laughs> pardon me? I had a nook. I know, I know. Look, everybody was <laughs> so miserable in that arrangement. But down the hall was a was a very spacious conference room with beautiful floor-to-ceiling picture windows that overlooked the south side. And right down the road... And according to Google, 1.67 miles was the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. And there were two. There was a. There was one giant screen TV, so giant screen for the time, you know, right. uh, that filled up one one wall. So Joe, between the two of us, I mean, even though you were the technical guy, I mean, you started in the editorial world and you're a natural storyteller. So why don't you? Start from the beginning of your story, telling us what you remember from the morning, and then I'll pop in here and there where I think I can add something. Is that a good idea? That sounds great. What I remember, I lived in, I lived almost directly south of D.C. in eastern Prince William County at that time. So my morning commute was coming up I-95. Ugh. Past the Beltway and onto 395. Yeah. And then exiting to get onto 110, that was a road that would take you up into Roslyn mm-hmm. from 
uh, from the Virginia side. And every morning I would... And for people who are not familiar with our particular geography, because we have people in other countries that listen, what what is Roslyn? What's its relationship to Washington, D.C., blah, blah, blah? Roslyn is just a, it's just a section of Arlington um, that is located. It's a, it's a sort of a commercial district that is located right across the key bridge from Georgetown. Right. So it's in the, it's in the Northern part of Arlington County, not the farthest North part of Arlington County, but pretty far up into, into Arlington and the road that comes into DC, which is called 395 if you stay on that road, it, it takes you over the 14th Street Bridge, which takes you directly into the heart of D.C. Right. And I would exit off onto a road called 110 that would go from the Pentagon north up into Arlington. It would go past Arlington Cemetery, and it would go past uh, the the exit for the Memorial Bridge, um, and then on up into, into Roslyn. And so that's the way I normally came to work. And that morning... Um, I was driving as I normally did late as I normally was. Okay. So it, I was, uh, I was coming up that morning and I was running late as I often did with that commute. Uh, and I was listening to the radio in the car and I was listening to Imus in the morning. Don Imus was a, was a nationally syndicated radio talk show. MSNBC is just flashed on my screen. It looks like there is a a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We got we got Warner on the phone who's who's looking at it right now. Warner? Hi, man. What's the deal? Uh, I, something hit the World Trade Center. I think it was a plane. I heard it right over my head and the explosion rocked the building. Really? And I'm looking at it right now. The smoke is just bellowing out of the World Trade Center. I mean, it's horrible. You can see the fire. You can see the smoke. I mean, it's a monster. And what I remembered is that there was a hard network cut-in to Imus's show uh, when after the first plane hit the tower. And so you immediately cut over to NBC News that was reporting on the plane hitting the first tower. And then as I was, I, think, I believe I was probably still on 395 when the news broke in that the second tower had also been hit. And at about that time, that was, that was a little past nine o'clock. I think we decided that 9.03 was when the second plane hit. So the news was probably breaking around that, 9.04. Right. That's in the commission report, 9.03, the South Tower. Yeah. And then... I would make the decision on which side of the Pentagon to go around because you had two choices. There were two different exits. You could go off on the west side of the Pentagon um, or you could go off on the east side of the Pentagon. And a lot of times the east side was better because there was less traffic. Okay. So, I so you went, just played it by ear. You played it by ear each morning, you know, de- depending on what the backup looked like at the exit. And I remember that day I skipped the west side exit and I went on to the east side exit and went around the east side of the Pentagon and got myself onto 110 and headed up and as as I'm heading up I'm thinking to myself it's going to be a it's going to be a terribly busy day because there's a ton of news um that's going to be coming out of New York and the websites are going to take a lot of traffic and we're going to need to be we're we're going to need to be very very focused 
on making sure that the websites are up. Uh, I dealt a lot with the um, with the technical people who managed our websites and made sure that they were uh, up and running and and could sustain high levels of traffic. Um, so I, I knew that it was going to be a busy day in the office as far as that went. Did you like step on it? Like when you heard that this was going, did you like hit the gas and say, fuck the police, I'm going for it? I really didn't because you couldn't, you know, because right, of the traffic, I guess. Right. There, there was all traffic. traffic. Yeah. And, you know, and at that point, this was this was a hellacious New York story. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew that, you know, in in Washington, that would mean that, you know, there was going to be all sorts of news coming out of the Pentagon and news coming out of the White House and coming out of Congress reacting to this. I, you know, that that as an as somebody who's been in the news business, I mean, that's what you anticipate when something like this happens. So I went around the east side of the Pentagon and I drove up and and traffic was still fairly heavy. And I drove up and by the time I got to the Gannett Towers, which were right in the middle of Roslyn at the corner of Wilson and North Meyer Boulevard. Um, By the time I got there and, and parked the car across the street, uh, in the parking lot where Woodward and Bernstein used to meet Deep Throat, by the way. Yeah. Um, I came out of the parking garage and I noticed that there were a lot of people milling around near the front entrance of our building. And our building had a couple of big revolving doors. And I walked toward the building with my briefcase and I was heading into the building and I ran into one of the people that I work with, one of, one of our colleagues Mm -hmm. uh, and she was in tears and, Mm -hmm. and I looked at her and I said, you know, what's happening? Why is everybody leaving? And she replied, they just hit the Pentagon. So that meant, you know, and I, I didn't even put this together really until a little later, but that meant that I missed, um, being at the Pentagon when it was hit by about 10 minutes or so, maybe 15 minutes or so. Boy. And I, and you know, in the way I remember it, um, in that conference room, like you got in there, I, and I guess I must just have a, a distorted view. Like I don't, because I did not get in there when the impact occurred. I heard the impact and the two people I was meeting with, we ran down the hall and we saw the mushroom cloud, rising from the Pentagon. But, and I thought that was almost the exact same time that you walked in the door, but you're saying, no, it was minutes later. It must've been. Okay. Because it was, and that was nine thirty-seven. So you were kind of, you were kind of like slugging in there. <laughs> kind of I know you work late. I know you work late. So yeah. I was, late. <laughs> I, 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 I was always there late. Jack's not going to penalize us now. You know, you just, so you tried, to, you, you tried to make it, make it work. Sure. Um, but the, the other thing I remembered is that, you know, as, as people were running out of the building, mm-hmm. um, and they'd been told to evacuate, I, I couldn't just turn around. I, I had to go up to my office and I, and I had to see my office. I don't know. It, it you know, it's just, maybe it's, you know, being in the news business, you know, you want to sort of make an effort to run toward the fire. Uh, in in some way, but I, I just mm. wanted to witness. I wanted to physically see what people were running away from. 
I guess is the best way to put it. And so I went up and I, I can't remember if I took the elevator or had to run the stairs. I think I took the elevator. Um, well, no one told you not to. I mean, they were operating. No one it wasn't like we were hit to. or anything. Right. Even though and there were reports that and, we were hit some, for some reason, if you remember. Right. And I, and I went up and I, I got into the office, which, you know, of course, was completely empty. And I, was I just there. remember what? I was there. Well, except I saw for you. you. Okay. But nobody else was there. And it normally would have been a hive of activity at, at you know, 945 in the right. morning. And I looked out the window that faced toward the Pentagon and we we were positioned so that we looked out over the roof of an apartment complex um, and then in the distance a little bit was the Pentagon. And I have a photograph that I took. I don't think I took it on the day of the attack. I think I took it... Um, the next time we got into the office, which was, I believe, the following Monday, before hmm. we actually went back in the office. Yeah, right. There was a there was a lull there, but the Pentagon was still smoking, and really, and, and I remember looking out the window and seeing, you know, this black smoke uh, and sparks of red coming from the west side of the Pentagon, and. If I remember everything correctly, what I wound up doing was slamming my hand against the window <laughs> and saying, mother efforts. I, yeah, I was going to ask you if you remember that because, yeah, you were so angry. And, and you know, I recently kind of went on a, this Charlton Heston 1970s binge and I rewatched Planet of the Apes, which I'd never I hadn't seen in decades. And, that, you know, at the very end, like they don't like tell you they don't show you the Statue of Liberty right away. And then he falls on his knees and he pounds on the beach and he goes, you bastards, you blew it up, you fucking bastards. You finally did it. And I'm like, that is exactly. No, I know that sounds stupid. That was running through my head while you were like pounding on the ledge or the window or whatever. You just dropped all your stuff, your briefcase. And you were just like so angry. And, um, you know, and and, and I remember talking, talking to, I guess it was my dad a little bit later. And, you know, he, of course, had he had been in high school when the Pearl Harbor attack uh, happened in Hawaii, and he said that was very much the same reaction that people had when they found out about the Pearl Harbor attack. They weren't shocked, you know. They weren't dismayed. They were angry. They were pissed, and you know that's why there were so many immediate enlistments, you know, and, and guys who just went right down to the recruiting station because, you know, and they shattered said, all that anti, you know, um, isolationist. Uh, right. Stuff that but I mean, it was, just, it was immediate yeah. that, that yeah. people just got angry right away. They didn't get sad. They didn't get scared. They just got angry. And I, that's the way I felt, you know, seeing the Pentagon burning in front of me. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember. And then I, I headed out 
Um, you know, I think I grabbed a couple of things from my desk that I thought I would need to work from home and, and well, that was one of Jack's instructions was that everybody take their computer with them because you're going to be working from home for a while. So that was one of the messages I was supposed to bring back. But what did you think it was? Because at the time, I mean, if you walked in, like you said, 10 minutes later, I mean, you heard about the towers, but they were like, okay, planes strike the tower. They had not collapsed yet. They were still, you know, planes, two planes hit the tower. Not a coincidence, obviously, now that it's two planes. What did you think was going on? I mean, were you thinking Russians, Chinese, something else? Ter- I mean, what were you thinking was the explanation? Or was that the first thing from your mind? I, You know, it's, it, it's, hard, it's hard to say now, you know, 20 years, 22 years in retrospect. Yeah. What was going through my head mm-hmm. at the time versus what, you know, I sort of backfilled later. Um, and that's why I, I watched um, some a, a YouTube video of the coverage of the initial coverage that starts with, you know, what I was listening to. It was Don Imus, you know, and his crew. Right. You know, laughing and joking about something. And then there was this hard cut to NBC Network Studios announcing the, you know, a plane had hit the North Tower. Major bus um, killer. It yep. seemed to me as though if you were following the the news, you had to have known by 930, you know, or before that odds were this was a terrorist attack, not the Russians, not the Chinese who were barely, you know, who were barely a thought at that time. Um, yeah, the Cold War know, was but, over, right? Yeah. But I mean, there had been Supposedly. terrorist, there had been terrorist bombings before. Of on um, on the World nothing, Trade Center specifically, nothing on the homeland, and nothing like this. Well, I mean, there was an attack. Wasn't during the Clinton administration? Wasn't there an attack on the World Trade Center using a like a U-Haul truck filled with explosives that didn't That's go off right. as planned? Yeah, yeah. Some some Muslim terrorists tried to tried to knock the World Trade Center down by by going into the underground in parking, the parking garage. Lot. In yeah. a parking garage underneath the World Trade Center. So they should have known that, okay, this is a target. Because at the time, they were the tallest buildings in the world, right? right. So they represented something to the world, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Is that your take? And, and you know, from what we know later is that they were seen as a softer target than even, say, the Empire State Building, which, you know, was all made out of concrete. Mm. And had survived being hit by a B twenty five back during World War Two. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, uh, there was a there was a B twenty five, which is a big plane. It's not right. as big as a it's not as big as a jumbo jet, but right. it's a big military plane that was on a training flight, and it crashed into like the seventieth floor of the World Tra- of the Empire State Building. You know, back Good in Lord. 1945. Oh my God, I got to do an episode yeah. on that. That's awesome. Yeah. And they, that that was something that the news coverage even was pointing out, you know, once they had their researchers kind of start digging around, um, was that it wasn't the first time a plane had hit a big, tall building, but the construction right. of the Empire State Building was much different than the construction of the World Trade Center, which was just a, you know, a steel skeleton. <laughs> 
It had some concrete, I think, but but you're right. A lot of it was well, glass. Yeah, obviously, it was yeah, it was the, called the, the glass floors, towers, right? The floors and ceilings were concrete, but yeah. you know, all held together with steel girders. Whereas the um, the world or the Empire State Building was just solid block concrete all the way up. It still is to this day. Mm-hmm. Right, but it, it's hard for me to to remember what what I thought at the time that I was looking out the window, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the black smoke and the, and the fire that you could clearly see mixed in with the black smoke. Um, You know, it, it, it was probably a plane, but you know, could it have been a missile? You know, I didn't know. Um, It had just happened. Right. And the idea of, crashing a plane into the Pentagon seems even a little more far-fetched than the idea of crashing a plane into the World Trade Center. You know, you it think does, about it because you're actually coming into the ground. miles per hour, 50 feet above the ground by yeah. guys who had been trained in the Cessna. Hmm. Well, we didn't know that. <laughs> we didn't know that at the time. No, we didn't know that at the time. All that, no, that came out later no, no, no. And, and, you know, we... Um, we had a rude awakening as far as the safety of America and, and the safety of, you know, of our, of our transit systems and so forth. Right. It was, it really was an eye opener. So how did, okay. So how, so how did you get home? I mean, you, we, you and I parked in that very same parking garage and I think they charge us like $50 a month to even have the privilege to park there. Didn't they? It was like one of the things that pissed me off, but anyway. <laughs> Like, hey, I'm working there and they're making me pay these guys. Uh. But anyways, how did you get out? Because it was like just such a brutal trying to get out of there because everybody, like you say, that particular area was just like all office buildings and stuff like that. And the advantage of Virginia was like in D.C. had all these height restrictions. So offices had to be. You know, there was only they, none of them could be higher than the Capitol or like there was some other thing. And in Virginia, they could be big. So there wasn't that restriction. So there was a lot of people working there and they were all evacuating, trying to get out of there at the same time. And there were reports on the radio. You know, I turn on our uh, for listeners, there's a uh, there's an all news radio station that's probably the biggest radio station in our area called WTOP, and they were reporting that people were they were trying to hit because we were too. I don't know. It's sort of like that 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 thing in the the Steve Martin movie. Um, um, what was it the loser, the lonely guy, the, the jerk, the jerk, jerk? Right. Remember the the guy, um, the assassin randomly selects him from the phone book and then tries to shoot him. And no matter where Steve Martin goes, he's hiding behind cans. He goes, he hates cans. So, <laughs> so it was like, okay, well they must hate towers. <laughs> it was like two towers. So it was like, oh, my God, they're going to go for the towers. Uh, you know, that was the logic, I guess. You know, let's get out of here. But it was it was kind of I mean, did you get out? It was a shit show out there. It, it was it was awful. Um, and, and it was awful for two reasons, at least two reasons. Um, number one, because everyone was sent home at the same time. Right. You know, so it it. it, it Anytime you do that in the Washington area, you're in for a bad scene. And that was certainly true in Northern Virginia at that time. And and so my, 
my drive home, which if if I ever did it with no traffic whatsoever, I could make it in about 40 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. Holy moly. Without any traffic to speak of. That's when you were in Dumfries? Yeah. Yeah, in eastern Prince William County. Okay. Um, That's a commute, dude. I left... I left work or, or left Roslyn at about 10 o'clock, probably, maybe a little past 10. By the time, you know, I got out, got back downstairs, got back to the car, got out of the parking garage and, and started to, you know, follow all the other cars that were going the same way. It was probably 10, 15, 10, 30. And I checked with my wife to find out what time I came home that day. And she said, you didn't get home until close to four o'clock in the afternoon. So that would have meant, you know, five and a half hours of sitting in the car, listening to WTOP, because it's not like we were, you know, streaming stuff from our cell phones. No, we had our very first cell phone. Um, And... But they were Cellular like so primitive. They were like like when Jack gave them to us. They were like you know the flip phones. There was nothing to them except. I mean, I guess you could you could do a text, but well, mine was a mine was a Nokia. It was a Nokia phone that was you know not not even the flip phone. We hadn't even gotten to that point yet. It was just a, just it was with a the Nokia. little antenna that extended on the well, side. Well, it didn't have it didn't have the extending antenna. It just had a sort of a, a short. <laughs> Thick, stubby antenna. Okay, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. With a little green screen, um, and I suppose you could have texted, but we. And that was before they gave us years before they gave us Blackberries, right? I yeah. Jack gave me his old Blackberry. Yeah. (laughs) What I remember is that you know I got the hand me down. If you had had a Blackberry Uh that day, you could have communicated with other Blackberry users because Blackberry used a different. Um, a different system for its own internal messaging. Um, but the cell towers were completely overwhelmed because everybody was trying to call right. home and you couldn't even place, sure you couldn't even place a call. call everybody. Yeah. They were on the road. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, it, you know, I was demon dialing my wife, you know, trying to let her know I was, I was okay. And, and I was on my way home and, and, you know, I assumed that she, probably would have, uh, you know, would have picked up our eldest son who was at a local daycare. Um, but I found out she had been mall walking, which was a, you know, which was just becoming a thing then, you know, where she went to the Potomac Mills Mall, which is a big shopping mall down here in Northern Virginia. Um, oh, for with, exercise, you mean? Like groups? Yeah. yeah. Okay, you, gotcha. You, you sort of speed walked your way up and down the hallways of this big mall. In air conditioning, so uh, in air conditioning it makes yeah. perfect sense. And, and she was doing that with our then five-month-old second son. Mm. Um, when you know she saw people suddenly like converging on stores that had televisions in them, um, you know, and she saw all these people crowding around the TV, right? And you know wonder what was going on and they went over and and they started talking about the the World Trade Center having been hit and she heard a blood curdling scream from another woman as I think as the plane hit the second building because that was shown live on TV right you know by that time every camera in the world were trained on the South Tower right 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. All the cameras were pointing straight at it, and yeah. then suddenly you just saw this red fireball emerge from the backside of the building. Um, I remember seeing that uh, much later because, you know, in the car, you're just kind of helpless trying to, you know, trying to demon dial somebody on the phone and, and not getting through for, you know, an hour or so. You actually had enough gas to be on the road for six hours? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lucky Um, you. (laughs) I mean, so many people run out of gas. At least I had enough gas. Yeah, I remember that, you know, people were all, people were um, getting off the highway and clogging up secondary routes because they thought they'd have a better chance of, of, you know, getting, getting out that way. And I did that too. Um, but it was no better. And, mm-hmm. and it, it probably, it, it probably, if anything, lengthened the amount of time that it took me to get home. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just, it, the, the problem was you felt so helpless because you're just sitting in the car, you have the radio on. So you're listening to them kind of piecing together what has actually happened and separate the rumors there was a rumor about a car bomb um, near the State Department that was that was going on for a little while. Yep. Um, you know, and we found out later about the um, you know about the about the White House uh, being evacuated and that mm-hmm. the plane that that crashed in Shanksville because the passengers overpowered the hijackers. Um, that plane was probably bound for either the White House or the Capitol. But we didn't know any of that sitting in our cars that day. We just knew that they were they were sort of struggling to piece everything together uh, and and keep track of you know what what were essentially three different stories: the story of the World Trade Centers collapsing, the story of the Pentagon getting hit, and the story of of the plane crashing in Shanksville. Right. Right. I mean, I guess in conclusion um you know it's been it's been like you said 21 years or 22 years it's um what were you when the when the presidential 9-11 commission came out with its uh, 585 page report were you satisfied with those findings um generally yes um it, you know, I'm a reader and normally, you know, when a report like this comes out, you tend to look at the executive summary, uh, you know, and, and, and not delve into the details of the report. But what I remember from the 9-11 Commission report is that the first chapter was really, really interesting because it was a, it was an historical review of how this thing called Al-Qaeda came together. And and it traced back to uh, something called the Muslim Brotherhood, which had started in, I think, like the 1960s or or maybe even in the late 1950s and uh, had grown up. And it was actually the Muslim Brotherhood that, that murdered Anwar Sadat, that assassinated him. Um, and these were Muslim extremists, Muslim fundamentalists who resented any move toward westernizing in 
Middle Eastern Arab countries. Um, but the that first chapter that kind of took you through the broad strokes of the history of that movement was really, really interesting stuff. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation and some conspiracy theories that have come up later about, um, you know, about the the temperature necessary to melt the steel. And, you know, was it an, in, I, you know, I, I've never, I've never had any time for that sort of thing. Um, you know, to me, that is, that is ludicrous. And, you know, it, it, it asks you to ignore your own senses and it, it asks you to in, ignore your own intelligence. So I never really paid much attention to any of the conspiracy theories. The only thing that, um, that I think the the nine eleven report kind of soft pedaled. Um, although even then, I don't I don't think it did initially. I think later uh, there was more of an effort to do this is is to minimize the involvement of Saudi Arabia uh, in it because Saudi Arabia was our one Arab ally in the region, and I think people, particularly in the and the supposed hijackers were. Um, Saudi Arabians, weren't they? That's right. I mean, it was a large number. It was like 15 out of the 19 or something were Saudi citizens. As um, was Osama bin Laden. He was a Saudi right. too, right? Wasn't right. he even in the line of princes? Maybe not, uh, sort of a junior no, no, no. one? No, he wasn't in the line of, of the royal family at all. Oh, he wasn't? He, okay. was, he was the son of a very wealthy construction um uh, construction mogul in okay. Saudi Arabia and throughout the Middle East. Um, but he wasn't his, nobility. So no, he wasn't nobility. But but I mean, he was he was he was raised in privilege and he was raised in wealth. Um, he was raised to take over his family's business, and he turned his back on that as part of his you know his fanaticism. Um, but the Bin Laden construction company. You know, it did work all over the Middle East, and you found out about that stuff too if you if you took the time to read the nine eleven report and and uh, you know and some follow on stuff about uh, about Al Qaeda and about you know this this horrible um, the, this this horrible set of tragedies. There's a great book that um, that I read after it came out. It's called The Looming Tower. Um, and, and that's a very, very good longer history of, of not only the Muslim Brotherhood and, and the birth of Al Qaeda, but also the search for the terrorists and the perspectives of the FBI and, and the CIA people who were trying to put pieces together in, you know, in the, in the weeks and months before the attacks happened, because, you know, as, Anybody who's in the intelligence community around here will tell you they knew that something was coming. They had they had seen enough chatter and they'd seen enough signals that anybody who was paying attention in the intelligence community and had access to signals intelligence knew that there was something coming. But they had no idea what, they had no idea when, they had no idea where. Um but that book does a really good job of of telling the story of what it was like, you know, trying to piece all this together, both before the attack and then going back after the attack and figuring out how it how it 
happened. So you never read the book, um, the new Pearl Harbor, nine eleven, the new Pearl Harbor, or the associated five hour documentary. Uh, I understand the book was given to all the commission members, so they at least had access to it. Uh, it tells a an alternate version. I don't know if I'd call it conspiracy theory, you know, because it's it's basically influenced by the International uh, Institute of Architects and Engineers. So it just basically goes through the physical things. It doesn't really offer like a theory of who did what or what was the plan or it just they just look at the actual specific things about the collapse of the towers and so you didn't have any exposure to that well you know exposure to it i mean it, you know you it's it's hard not to encounter somebody on television you know i i remember that it was maybe a year or so after the attacks that you know that people like rosie o'donnell started you know, started raising these kinds of questions. Well, you know, that they said that the temperature of the fire from the jet fuel could only get to this temperature and that's not enough to melt steel, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm thinking, you know, good God. I mean, of course it is in, in that kind of an environment with that amount of smoke and that amount of flame, you know, and the, the towers essentially became like giant chimneys. I mean, you can see that just looking at the boiling smoke. Um, you know, I don't even need, need to know the exact temperatures. I just need to know that those temperatures were hot enough that the steel was able to bend. And when the steel bends and you apply weight to it, what happens? It bends even more. Um, I, I never understood the people who were taken in by the by the uh, the conspiracy theories that, you know, I don't know, there was some sort of an accelerant that had been added to the fuel to make it burn hotter than jet fuel would. I, you know, no. Now, there was that third building, and I forget what its name was. It wasn't one of the two towers, and it wasn't as high. It wasn't 110 stories, and it collapsed many, many hours later, was not hit by any plane. Uh, Some of the debris from the two towers had hit it, and there was a fire on one of the floors. But um, some great footage of a guy standing in front of it talking while it collapses behind him. Any thoughts on that one? No, no thoughts on that. I, I, again, I mean, it, it, if, if there had been something you know, what's the explanation that, that somebody was taking advantage of a situation to, uh, you know, to, to blow up a building for insurance purposes? Is, That's is that exactly what, what is being said, because the billionaire that, that had, that was locked into this hundred year lease with the Port Authority, yeah. uh, and it was failing financially, he was losing tens of millions, hundreds of millions a month. And it's right. uh, like the biggest, true, biggest insurance two can be true at the same time. True, true. You know, but I mean, it's not uncommon for people to burn that, down their know, own there's building. Somebody right? trying to get out of his lease. But thing number two is that there was this huge cataclysm that just occurred literally a block away. And the debris from cataclysm one, including superheated steam and superheated dust and, you know, shards of metal. Um, you know, would weaken the foundations of a building? Yeah, I can buy that. Absolutely. But it sure Anybody did, work. Was, it sure did near, work out for this guy, man. saw the level 
of devastation can imagine what kind of of pressure uh you know physical pressure is is exerted when 110 stories of slab concrete and steel suddenly implodes on itself and falls you know 1100 feet to the pavement Five hours. Just think later. about just think about the amount of weight that's coming down. I know, but in five hours one later, giant so. slam. Five hours later, and plus, boy, didn't he come out smelling? The insurance company had to cover the whole damn thing. Wow. Okay. Lucky day for not, him, huh? Not, not my big, not my big concern. <laughs> okay, I don't have to use that. I just had to ask. I'm, I'm asking the other guys from Manhattan the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I. I I just don't, I don't truck with that sort of stuff. It, it, it just, to me, the, the simplest explanation is the best explanation. And that is that the building was weakened by the debris shower that came from not one, but two giant concrete and steel buildings that literally descended in a plop one after the other. You're an Occam's razor guy. I am an Occam's razor guy. Mm -hmm. I shave with my Occam's razor every day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Joe, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to have you on. We always love your insights, and thank you for sharing all this. And uh, hopefully we'll see you very in the very near future. Okie dokie. I hope it helps. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the survivors, family, and friends of those who were lost that morning 22 years ago. We also want to remember the first responders and site workers that, due to poor protection, became very sick and even died in the months that followed. If you like our work, we'd be honored if you subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite podcast platform and share it with your friends. You can reach us online at scandalsheetpod.com, Facebook, or Twitter, or just send us an email to contact at scandalsheetpod.com. We'll see you next time. Copyright 2023. Thad Helsley Media LLC. All rights reserved.